0: Welcome to the GovCom's podcast, bringing you the latest insights
1: and innovations from experts and thought leaders around the globe in government communication. Now, here is your
0: host, David Pembroke.
2: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to GovComs, the podcast that examines the practice of content communication in government and the public sector. My name's David Pembroke, and thank you for joining me once again. Today, we speak to someone who is vitally involved in an area of government communication that probably doesn't get as much attention as it deserves, but it's vitally important. Our guest today is Shannon Kenner, and she is the division head of communications and parliamentary at the Commonwealth Treasury in Australia. Shannon is an experienced communication professional, been around for a long time, but she joined the Treasury in 2015 to manage a major government advertising campaign and has since managed the delivery of five federal budgets. And I'm super interested in exactly the communication story around the federal budgets, but we'll come to that in a moment. But as division head of the communications and parliamentary at the federal treasury, she manages a broad program of work, including the oversight of all of the communications functions, so she's got uh, responsibility for media relations, social media, stakeholder engagement, corporate comms, speech writing, graphic design, publications, and the web. And she's also responsible for all ministerial and parliamentary business for the Treasury. So before she joined uh, Treasury, she worked or began her uh, public sector career at the Department of Immigration back in 1994, but she's also worked overseas in both the public and private sector, and she holds a Bachelor of Communications degree, majoring in management from the University of Canberra. And she is sitting right across from me here on a beautiful day in Canberra. Shannon, thanks very much for coming to GovComs.
1: Thank you for having
2: me. Yeah, this is must be a fascinating place to, as a communicator, to sit amongst what is a reservoir, a very very deep reservoir <laughs> of information, that you've got to put together into a program, um, yep. offline, online, busy. How do you do it? How do, like what? Where where do you start?
1: Uh, that is a very good question, and I, I like your water analogy there of the reservoir. We actually talk about Treasury being at the waterfront uh, of okay. government policy. Uh, we cover the waterfront, um, so it it touches on all aspects of the economy, policy, tax, super. There's a huge amount of stuff that we have to talk about, um, and I think it's been um, a really uh, it's been a growing experience for me working at Treasury to to work out how do we pull this all together, um, and I think the the real um, centre point to it all is the budget. That sets the agenda for us for the year. That sets the agenda for the government. So, it's where do we go from there? What do we take from that? How do we how do we roll out comms from there? Um, and of course, the comms that goes around the budget itself. So, it's a big exercise. Um, it's it's not something that was done very. You know, um, there wasn't a lot of focus on it at Treasury before no. I started.
0: Yeah,
1: um, it was probably more focused on um, being the sort of the, the shop that did the budget printing. Um, I think I've made um, you know a real contribution at Treasury in lifting their communications um, function and expertise. Mm. But it's it's been um, it's been a big experience.
2: Yeah. So so take me through that because I think that's
1: fascinating and these
2: people starting to realise and understand that. The, the power and the value of effective communication that can actually help them to do their job, particularly the people who are you know, uh, deeply skilled in policy or economics who are working in the technical areas mm. to then understand, oh, hang on, if I get involved in this communications thing, that can help me. But, it, but going back to when you first arrived, how did you sort of start Treasury on this journey to, towards greater professionalisation of the, of the communication and engagement function?
1: Sure, I think um, the kickoff point for us was, as, as you sort of mentioned in the intro, the fact that I was brought in to do a big government advertising campaign, not something that Treasury is very well known for. Yeah. And what, pro- what one was that, by the way? So that was the Intergenerational Report campaign with Dr. Carl.
2: Oh, dear, okay, right. Yes,
1: yes. <laughs> and it was you know it was oh, just, it was just a, a bit step of an in, out. that
2: was a well actually we should talk about that yeah. because that's okay well let's answer that question but we'll come mm-hmm. back to that because i'm we have an audience a global audience and they're probably sitting there going doctor the yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we'll come back to that because that's a really really interesting case study yep um, but anyway going back to that so, campaign
1: yeah i think i was i was brought in um, to do that campaign it was there was um, an interest from the government to actually look at how they could communicate around the intergenerational report it was an opportunity to set a forward picture of what was happening in Australia, um, looking at the fact that we had a changing demographic, how we were going to, you know, pay for the services that people needed as they age. So, for me, that was a huge communications challenge and I was like, yeah, I want to be involved involved in that. Um, And then coming into Treasury with, um, you know, a lot of very clever, very policy-focused people, and talking to them about the fact that we needed to talk to the community, and they've traditionally probably focused more on their their role being to brief the treasurer and to brief our ministers, um, and to think broadly about the well-being of the Australian public, but not to actually directly communicate with them. So um, it was it was an education process and shifting them to understand. It was fascinating taking some policy people and getting them to watch f- research groups or focus groups, and okay. hearing what people were saying. <laughs> about, you know, the policy or about the words that we were using and, and realising that, oh, that that doesn't work or that, oh. So it was, you know, exposing them to that kind of information really made a big difference. Because
2: I know that that is a huge challenge for people in government communications is to get the technical specialists to understand that not everything has to go into the report. Yep. The language, okay, <laughs> it may not be the words that you use, but they're the words that are going to use. So
1: that's an interesting tactic you use by taking them to... To research and yep. say, "Hey, ha- have a watch of that." Yeah, I think it was um, it was sort of tail ended after we'd sort of gone through the development process with the campaign um, to also start getting ready for that federal budget. So the campaign launched in March of that year. Um, the federal budget was at the start of May, so we had I think about a um, five weeks on the air before we paused before the budget. And our focus in the team shifted to communications for budget and what we could do differently this year. Um, So there was a big focus on, um, you know, improving the website, actually putting case studies on there, looking at how we could communicate what the budget meant for people Mm. and drawing on the experience that we'd had with the campaign and applying that into the budget. Um, So, again, big change for Treasury and, um, you know, it was something that people got on board with. But it often took a process of me and the team sitting down with people and saying... Okay, so that fact sheet or that piece of content, that sounds great. Um, but how about you tell me what this actually means? Like, I don't I don't get it, so explain it to me. Yeah. And getting it in their words was, for us, the, the key point. That was our scripts. That was our scripts for our animations that we ran on the website. That was them explaining to us in simple terms mm. what the policy actually meant. And, and were they capable of being able to break it down and yeah. get it into that simple term? So when you did say to them,
2: just like... Yeah, treat me like someone on the street and you're explaining to me your role or your job. And yep. They were quite capable of doing that.
1: Yeah, it actually broke uh, broke down that sort of barrier of when you put the words in front of them on a piece of paper, their immediate response was to go into policy mode and to say, okay, well, that's not strictly accurate. We can't say that. Yes. If you get them to talk to you instead, yep. face-to-face conversation, so tell me, what does this mean and what is, how is that going to affect people? How many is it going to impact on and they'll just talk to you about it, and that's that's your content. That's that's what you take and give to the public because that's what it means. Yeah.
2: Now this this is fascinating. You say that because this is an emerging theme that's coming through probably the last three or four months of talking to people in this sense of getting up from behind your desk and going and speaking to people. Absolutely. You know, this is the role of... The modern role of the communicator is the enabler, is the person who joins up the organisation, who who builds the confidence and strength across the organisation, but they're the connector. Absolutely. That, that, that's got to be the role, doesn't it?
1: Absolutely. Mm. And that's something that I, I believe very strongly in is that we've got to be that... Almost, you know, going back to my uni days, the boundary spanner between yep. the the government and the public—that's that's the role to actually bridge that divide and explain how things need to need to be explained outside of our little bubble. Yeah. So now, listen, let's
2: go back to Dr. Carl because sure. this this was from a from a content point of view. Um, it, I remember when it came out, I was just absolutely. Over the moon to see it because it was really the first content-based approach to explain um, a a government report, which, mm-hmm. as you say, is the intergenerational report. Uh, but things didn't quite go to plan. Yep. Started well, but then what happened? You know, what happened? What went wrong?
1: So, what went wrong? I suppose um, was that um, there was there was media and there was publicity around Dr. Carl and the fact that he, as the face of the campaign. Um, made some comments about his concerns about the content of what was in the report. Um, so for us, that meant spinning quickly into crisis management mode, um, and it was a very intense forty-eight hour period. It
2: was heavy. Yeah. It was heavy. You yeah. You got you copped the full court press. Yes.
1: Yeah. Uh, it was still it, getting over it. Yeah. It was- <laughs> Somewhat scarred. Um, <laughs> look, I think it was it was a bold move um, from government to yes. look at actually having a face to yeah. their government campaigns and to their, their communications. Um, they'd done it in the past, or they'd you know they'd looked at particular things. Um, you know, the GST Unchain My Heart campaign was another one where they didn't use a personality, but they used a very you know evocative piece of music. music yeah. To to Joe connect, yeah. yeah. So we instead had used, um, you know, someone who was an authority and who could speak to Australian people about a broad range of topics, um, and I think that was actually incredibly effective. the The campaign itself was actually very effective. What we had in the middle of it was, um, you know, a, a media sort of firestorm, um, mm. around Dr. Carl. And it was really um, it was really unfortunate, I suppose, because it took the focus off the campaign. Yeah. But you do what you do as a comms professional and you pivot and you deal and you address the issue. Um, you know, we, we very quickly moved on that. It actually shut down pretty quickly. Of course, everyone remembers it when yeah. you <laughs> mentioned the Dr. Carl <laughs> campaign. Um, but- because he,
2: he effectively walked... What happened was he effectively walked away from his commitment to the campaign yep. because he – because, well, rather mischievously, it was – you know, all of a sudden it was interpreted that Dr Carl was then um, connected to the all of the government's policies as opposed to the data that was essentially in this yep. intergenerational report, which is effectively Treasury data, which is really an economics. So it was really a factual-based thing. Yep. But the political side of it was to sort of handcuff him to a wider agenda, and therefore the pressure came on, and he didn't didn't stick with it.
1: Yeah, and it was I think the the biggest impact was probably on him and his brand or his profile. Yeah. Um. Certainly the the sort of the outcomes that we saw after that um, campaign was that the the messages that we'd been putting into the campaign about the fact that you know people needed to start paying attention to the fact that we had a changing um, you know, demographic, that we needed to prepare yeah. for the future. That all resonated, that all got through. Um, what happened with Dr. Carl probably had more impact on him personally than it did actually on the impact of the campaign or the messages. Yeah. So it was also um a it really was a distraction though, wasn't it? It was a very yeah. big distraction. And yeah. I think it was it was also, you know, a difficult campaign given that we weren't talking about a particular policy we weren't yep. talking about a particular program we were talking about starting a conversation back when that was you know not not the kind of yep. give and speak so um, we did that I think we actually achieved that and we we were actually quite happy with the outcome that we saw that shift happening we saw people starting to talk about the economy and hmm. starting to engage with it yeah but
2: it, interesting so just in
1: terms of that what were the big lessons for you coming out of that particular
2: um, campaign and what happened? You know, what can people learn? Because the purpose of this podcast really is for people to learn. So, yep. for someone sitting out there, what what would be the the advice with, with a big campaign like that?
1: Um, it's difficult because I, th- I think it's expect the unexpected more than anything else, yeah. and and you know expect that you're not going to have a smooth run. I think there's obviously using um, known personalities or um, you know particular things that that might give you a hook in the door come with a level of risk. Yes. And it's about being sure that you're prepared for that, making yes. sure that your ministers, if you're in government, are prepared for that, yes. um, and that everyone is comfortable with the level of risk that you're taking. And if you're not, you back out. Mm. So it's it's be prepared.
2: So did you identify that risk prior to the campaign, that it could he could have walked away or you just didn't? Probably did, not, no. no.
1: Yeah, no, because
2: I, I do think that that's a that's a, again another emerging part of the credibility that comms can bring to the table, is that really clear understanding of risk and benefit early. In the process, mm. so when you're having those early conversations, you know what are the risks, what could go wrong, what are the likelihood of those risks happening, and then being able to show the communication addressing those particular risks. Absolutely. So I think that's uh, definitely best practice. Yep. So listen, going to then, uh, I'm fascinated. Oh, actually, just, just just before we go on from the intergenerational report, see to me, I just think that that it's just golden. It, it, it's a, a wonderful piece of of work, which is really about the future. Mm-hmm. It's about What's happening and what's coming and, you know, ageing population and impacts of technology and um, density of populations in the city. Yep. But this is a story that needs to continually be told. And this is where I think content and content marketing in a government context can really come to the fore. And this is where I think, you know, the intergenerational campaign broke some ground very early days in that it started to try to tell that story. How Have you been able to sustain that story over time and, and continue to be able to to talk about these issues? And if you have, how have you gone about doing it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we've... it's As you said, it was a big um, learning experience for us and we got a lot of valuable research out of it as well. And, you know, it's often the case with government communications that you don't have the luxury of having, you know, big research yes. groups with, you know, multiple members of the community... Um, but we had a lot of research. We were able to use that to inform our future activities as well, whether it was the you know the initial developmental research that we'd done or the evaluation research we had that insight into what the community was thinking. So it was able to say then whether it was, um, you know, for other communications activities within our portfolio, so whether it was with the Australian Taxation Office or others, to be able to say, well, this is what we found from this piece of work or even looking at what we did for future budgets. This is what happened last year. We found that people, when you talk to them about the economy, think this. So this is what we need to do in response. So it was able to drive that kind of conversation. But I think it was also working um, quite collaboratively with the minister's office to pull together that broader narrative around where they wanted to see the messaging going and being able to influence and provide sort of guidance from what we'd found from the campaign. Mm. So I think it's it's come through as an undercurrent. It's probably not, you know, apparent on the surface, but it's, it is actually sitting underneath everything that we do.
2: Yeah. Interestingly, th- this, you know, idea of big government advertising campaigns and there's certainly obviously a a place for those but in your world uh, given that you know the factors of media production and distribution have now been democratized and everyone can be a media business and I think it's particularly relevant to government to be able to produce and curate and um, uh, create curate and distribute relevant useful content consistently over time Mm -hmm. how, how has it changed how has that capability changed the way that you've gone about your your work?
1: Um, Look, to be honest, unfortunately, not a huge amount because Mm. we're constrained by, you know, certain um, arrangements that are in place in government. So there is a master media agency that works for government. All government advertising has to be placed through that. So when you're looking at paid content going out, we have to engage through them. Um, But I think there's still plenty of opportunity and plenty of government agencies that are actually looking at more of the um, almost below the line stuff or the the smaller scale stuff that, you you know, you're not spending millions of dollars on. You're actually just getting content out there to discrete groups or to the right groups in particular, Mm. not just the whitewash. Um, So I think it's, that's changed probably, I think maybe more in the policy agencies. I think it's a little bit different in Treasury because we tend to focus on the bigger, Um, broader policy narrative rather than the specific services and programs. Yes. Um, But we, you know, we do what we can to try and push our department along and push, you know, our approach along so that we're actually looking at what options we have to get out there in different ways and to really target what we're doing.
0: Yeah.
2: It's interesting because we're seeing it in in our work that, you know, the demand for podcasts and the demand Mm -hmm. for webinars, you know, and it's really working so well yeah. because it's you know that narrow focus you know getting to a specific audience who need to know about a particular program or it, it just works its head off mm. and it's the clients are just loving it you know because they can see the results and again by using the technology it saves them having to go you know spending huge amounts of money on travel and yep. you know it, and it it, it it really is an effective way to start to deliver and to use these new tools mm. that are there.
1: And I'm I'm super keen yeah. to get into it. Yeah. And I think we've actually had um, we've got a couple of people in the department, not in the comms area, actually some of our policy colleagues, um, who are doing like little in-house podcasts yeah. about you know, I love policy that. issues yeah. and. <laughs> We're we're jumping on that and going, okay, so how can we harness that? And yeah. what can we do? How could that work for the budget? What do yeah. we do? Where yeah. do we go from here? So yeah, it's a fantastic new area.
2: Okay. So let's talk about the budget because to me, oh, this is fascinating. So um, yeah, this is, as you say, sets so the agenda. It's where the money is. Yep. It's, it's where the priority all the money. is. money. <laughs> it's where all the dough is so we know exactly what government is going to do because you follow the money, you find the, find the ideas. So uh, take me through the budget process from a from a comms point of view. Where, mm-hmm. like, where, when does it start? So it come in Australia um, for for our guests from overseas. It, it's May, yep. isn't it? It's like the first Tuesday, second Tuesday, second, of May, normally, second Tuesday in May. So so we know it's coming second Tuesday of May, and that's when it all sort of like hit it all. But when does it start? When when do you mm. get get working on
1: it? Um, realistically, it's probably crept earlier and earlier over the last couple of years because we in the team have actually wanted to get on it a lot earlier. Um, so. In the last couple of years, we probably start planning um, late December, I would say. Okay. Um, so, we've normally got our plans in place from around then about what we want to do. Um, a big component for us is that we run media and stakeholder lock-ups. Yeah. So, we actually had um, this year, I think it was around 1,200 people locked up around Australia reading budget papers, Yeah. Uh, which is a massive logistical exercise. Has that
2: grown over the years?
1: Um. I don't it's, it's it's the original lock up when I
2: was a journo up mm. on the, up on the hill, that used to be the one lockup, but yep. now there's multiples. Yeah. There's there's other you know associations and sort of other stakeholder groups get the opportunity to to, to get a look at it.
1: Yeah, I'm actually not sure how long the stakeholder lockup has been running for, but it's mm. definitely more than the time I've been at Treasury. So yeah. um, that's been a, an addition, which I think is a valuable opportunity for us to actually give our key stakeholders, industry groups, employer groups, um, you know, not for profits, all all of those people the opportunity to sit there and actually. Engage in the budget and work out what their position is, and give them that opportunity to prep for the media that will come following the release of the budget. Um, the media side of it, um, I think it has—it's probably been you know growing and and um, and changing over the years. We have um, a lot of. Uh, IT builds that actually happen up at Parliament House yeah. now, um, and interstate. So people are actually getting their content ready to to go live as soon as the treasurer yes. starts his speech. Yeah. Um, so we actually have to, you know, facilitate that for them so that they can be ready to press the button at seven thirty. Yeah,
2: because essentially, what happens for those of you who don't know this, the, there's huge committee rooms and there's vast areas inside Parliament House, which effectively are. It's a takeover yep. from from the treasury, and as you say, there's this is massive ICT ov- overlay. Now, in the old days, we used to have the counting room for the for the elections here in Canberra as well, where mm. again, same sort of thing, massive overlay to come in and, and to do this. We're still do- we're not doing that anymore because technology's taken over. What's going to happen to the lockup? Is it, is there a way that technology may be able to to deal with that? Because I imagine the expense would be horrendously, it's
1: huge. Yeah, it is huge. Um, I think it's it's also. Um Something that a lot of um, journalists and a lot of others hold very dear to their hearts. Indeed,
0: indeed. <laughs> um,
1: don't don't get in the way of the lockup. <laughs> this is how we do it. Yeah. Um, so I think what we've been engaged in over the last few years, and what I try to do across the board, is that continual improvement. So right. Rather than a revolution, it's an evolution. Okay, it's it's a general um, growing and changing. So what we've tried to do is actually move more into that digital space, so that we're not relying on printed products. Yeah, the
0: printing, yeah, yeah.
1: There are a lot of people that are very um, very wedded to their printed products, though. Right. So we need to make sure that that's still available for them. Yeah. Um, I think there's you know there's definitely scope in the future to look what we could be doing digitally around um, you know embargoes and releases. Yeah. We have made changes in that area. We're not flying copies of the books around the country anymore to, to sit, um, you know, in other capital cities. We're yep. now doing that through um, secure links. Yep. Um, but it's it's a gradual process. Mm. We have to keep people moving forward. Well, th-
2: th- 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 and that's the issue, you know. These are very traditional, very important public institutions and they're not going to, you know, they're not going to be on the leading edge of um, innovation in a lot of this space because it's too important. Yeah. You know, like they can't afford to be, you know, yep. right at the front, so... Being modest in your improvements, I think, is is, is, is fine. Okay, so we're in December. Yep. Um, you've looked at that. Yep. And you've looked at that again and thought, grown. How much of your time does it take? Because that's like massive logistics. Or do you just – have you got a team of people who you say, okay, that's your job?
1: Um, at, at this point, it's pretty much taking up um, the entire comms part of the division from probably – uh, if we're looking at a budget in mid, uh, second week of May, we'd be on board fully from about mid March. So. And this takes up your whole time as pretty getting much this whole thing. Yeah. Wow. Yep. So we. What, actually... what about strategically, though? What about
2: trying to, mm. you know, understand, you know, the distribution, as you say, like mm. where you're relying on the media, but what about your own distribution yep. of, of of your own content? How yep. How do you do that if you're spending so much time with the administrative and logistic side of it.
1: Yeah, I think the the struggle for us is being able to get across the messages, getting across what's in the budget and working out what we do with that. So that process would probably start around February, March when it starts to come together. Um, You know, there's been a lot of cabinet meetings, there's been a lot of decisions starting to be made. So then we get to start to look at some of the content, get an idea of what's going to be in it and what we can do with it. Mm. And, um, you know, for us over recent years, the focus has really been more on the online side of things. So what can we put on the budget website, how can we approach it differently? Um, we've used animations to try yeah. and break down yeah. some of the subjects and make it a little bit more digestible to people. Yep. Um, but it's also having that close relationship with the Treasurer's Office and working out for them what's their narrative, what's, what's the things they need to highlight because our goal or our role ultimately is to sit there and support them and yes. make sure that they get the message out. Yeah. So it's, um, it's from about March we start getting into that strategic side of things and yep. start thinking about the messaging um, start looking at what we're doing. There's whole of government media releases that get coordinated yeah, as well.
2: Massive.
1: Um, and it's, it's a it's big vast. process. It's
2: vast. It is a vast logistical exercise when you consider the size, the scale and the scope Of the Australian government. It's big and getting bigger. Mm. Uh, And again, the the, the budget touches everyone because that's where the money is. That's right. So listen, in terms of your team, what sort of team do you have working for you to be able to sort of take on this?
0: Yeah, it's,
1: um, we've, we've, as you sort of mentioned in the intro, we've got a couple of people across a lot of different sort of functions. Mm. So um, obviously we have um, some graphic designers and publishing people whose, yep. you know, role has always been to ma- manage and maintain those budget documents and produce those.
0: Yep.
1: Uh, we have a small web team. We have some strategic comms people who sort of flip between focusing on the external-facing, you know, bigger-ticket things, whether it's a Royal Commission lock-up, whether it's, um, you know, the budget, and then flipping over into internal or corporate comms, talking about Treasury as, you know, an employer of choice. Uh, And then I've got a media and speeches team. And across all of these, we're talking about a few people. So it's a small team. We're lean and mean.
2: (laughs) Is it going to grow? No. Is, is, is there any appetite to give you more resources to tell a better story? Is it something with, that it's emerging uh, in its capability? Or perhaps are there ways? And I'm, I'm intrigued, because this is another one of my big favourites, is I believe that you know the communication function is, is will be most effective when it's distributed in all sorts of different areas. And to mm. understand that you've got... People in policy who are saying, hey, we want to do a podcast about it's like, great. Okay. So it's like, where can we activate you know, people who have got the skills and got the enthusiasm to do something mm. so we can grow our team without actually growing our headcount head because yeah. we've got more people involved? Is that is that something that you're looking to do to yeah. try to encourage more people?
1: Well, it's, it's to try and diversify the skills within the team. So I think we've probably grown over the last couple of years. Um, so to be fair, I've already got more people than we had originally. Yeah. Um, you know, the focus originally was just on those documents yes. and, you know, at tiny little speech writing function. So that's grown quite significantly already. Um, I don't know that I'll get a lot more, but what we have to do is work out how to do more with what we've got. So what we have instead is that we're, we're upskilling and cross-skilling and retraining and getting people who, you know, might've traditionally looked at one particular role to look at something else. And can we do this as well? And how would that work? And how are we going to address social media? Mm. What's, what's the approach with that? Yeah. So it's, um, it's the kind of thing where I like to try and see how we can make those connections externally, outside of government and inside government, and actually learn and see what we can do to, to improve our capability internally.
2: But it's really hard, isn't it?
1: Completely. <laughs> <laughs>
2: that's the aspiration, isn't it? You yeah. Know, that we want to go to this and we want to speak to this and we'd love to do, this, but the reality is we're getting pounded on yep. a daily basis, trying to, to, to stay on top of it. I've i got another sort of mission. I, I reckon there's a big opportunity um, to take uh, what's known as a sort of balance matrix approach to government communication and, the government should look at its communications workforce as a single workforce as mm. a profession as they do in in the united kingdom mm-hmm. and the idea for me would then be once you've got an idea of this whole workforce is like we know treasury is going to get slaughtered at this particular time of the year yeah. let's move some of our resources into that team scale it up for that period of time and then okay now we know that's done, and now we can move. So, we get more agility mm-hmm. and we get more experience. And so, we build out the teams and we move the people to the need, as opposed to, you know, Department X, we've got so many people and they're all ours. Yep. And don't ever think that we're going to share them because we need every last one yeah, of them. Where, absolutely. in actual fact, um, right now, if I'm the government, I actually need those people supporting our team over there who yeah. are getting run off their feet.
1: Yep, absolutely. And I completely agree. It's, it's, the kind of thing where, you know, we try and do that within the portfolio. Obviously, Treasury's, um, you know, a small agency in the scheme of things. We've got about yes. 800 people. Yeah. Um, you know, we've got some very big players in the, in the portfolio. We've got the tax office. We've got, um, you know, ACCC, ABS, a lot of big agencies in there. So we try and draw on them when we can. Um, but it's, it's, as you said, it's the kind of thing where if the focus is on this topic at this point in time, yeah. let's flow the resources yeah. there. Let's do that.
2: yeah. Yeah, I, look, I, and I think this is coming. I, I think this is coming. Um, and and I think it needs to come. Yeah. And, and I think it's a much more efficient and better use of, of the resource. And I think it's great for the people as well. Mm. So imagine thinking, oh, okay, I'm going on a three-month secondment across to the Treasury to get ready for the budget. Yeah. like And the, the the experience that you would get from being involved in that project would be superb. Yeah, And you're not going to get it. You know, just sitting doing your little job that you're doing it on every day. No. Anyway, that's another one of my campaigns that I'll get started. <laughs> um, so listen, what are you seeing more broadly from a, from a gov- government communications point of view? Where, where are the improvements? Where are the changes? Where do we need to do more work? How can we be better at what we do?
1: Um, I think it's probably, as, as you'd said, looking at those new opportunities or those new media and how we can actually more efficiently start our communications approach. I think that we've got to really move away from what we've done before and that sort of comfort area yeah. and look at how we can explore those new areas because there's there's so many opportunities out there and I think there, there's a reluctance to, to change how things have always been done yeah. because it works, it's easy. Yeah. That's what my people are trained to do. So... Yeah. We need to start exploring what else is out there. We need to be looking at what the private sector is doing. Um, that's something that I've really enjoyed getting the getting to run the campaigns in Treasury. We work with a lot of creative agencies, PR agencies, research companies, and we get to bring them in and pick their brains and say, okay, so how do you approach a brief? How do you do this? What, what do you do in these kind of situations? Mm. So it's actually drawing some of that expertise in rather than just saying, this is how government does comms.
0: Yeah.
2: In terms of that skills, what, what do you think are the skills people need to have to be an effective contributor to a government communication program?
1: Um, I think it's probably that that focus outside of the agency. I think... There's, you know, a tendency to be quite insular and not really think about who it is that you're talking to. You know, the good old Canberra bubble. You don't <laughs> you don't think about who it is that you're actually talking to out there and what's actually important to them. And often it's not the big government issues. It might not be the big economy message that the government is trying to push. Yeah. It might be that, you know, I don't know how I'm going to pay my parking fine. I don't know how I'm going to pay for my groceries. So we need to look at what are actually... The real issues for people on the street, and understand who you're talking to, so that you can actually communicate effectively.
0: Mm. Okay.
1: And in terms of the numbers of
2: people, like it. it, it Are you getting access to enough people, you know, coming in when you're advertising for jobs? Are you seeing the right sort of skills, right sort of attitudes, right sort of curiosity, which is essentially what you're talking about there, that empathy? Yeah, I'm pulling a few faces
1: because it's a yes and no. I think you can get – it depends. It all depends. And it's been a real flux in government recently of, you know, a lot of people applying for jobs and then very few people um, I think you try and do things where you get people to be quite agile and move quickly and you get less interest. Um, so it's there's there's still probably within government within that sort of pool there's that reluctance to be not secure yes. Um, so the idea of moving to something temporarily is quite challenging to some people or yeah. to a lot of people, it seems. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we've we've um, looked at uh, how we can actually get some quite flexible secondment programs working from within our team to yeah. other areas, um, which is working really well. But they're all quite short-term. They're all, you know, six, eight weeks, something like that. Right. Um, but that gives you exposure. That gives you, you know, a bit of a toe in the water somewhere else. But when you actually try and get someone in... For something slightly longer term, it it doesn't seem to move as quickly, okay. which I find quite frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> All
2: right, we're just about to wrap it up, but looking, you know, twelve months in into the future, what's the what's the one if we're sitting here in twelve months' time having another conversation, which I'm sure we will. What's the one thing that you'd like to have achieved in this next twelve months that would have helped? You know, strengthen communities and improve the well-being of citizens through the work that you do.
1: Um, for me, it's uh, the focus is actually on the budget. So it's it's about what can we do differently for for next year's budget to actually make it different, to make it better, better. to make it you know, a better communications piece, Experience, um, yeah. and and to actually start to get some of that content out there, and maybe even look at whether we can actually make it a bit more of a whole of government exercise so that the comms doesn't stop on budget night. It actually – we look at how it rolls out over the course of the year and can we bring it back to – with the original starting point, if it was in the budget, this is something that we did.
2: Now you're talking. It's <laughs> joined
1: up approach. I, I, I Look, it's, it's possible. And it's going to happen.
2: So, you know, I, I think – I'll get there, don't worry. You...
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> exactly. Well, Shannon, thank, thank you so much for coming in and sharing your experience with us, your knowledge. Again, the purpose of the podcast is for people to – take some things away, take some insights away, and just be a little bit better maybe tomorrow. A couple of ideas here and there, and, there. and there's so much in that conversation. So thank you so much uh, for coming in today and sharing. And it's just it's springtime here in Canberra, ladies and gentlemen, and it is glorious. I was up walking on uh, one of the hills around Canberra this morning on Red Hill and just looking south to the mountains, which is down towards the snowfields, and it's just Oh, you know, makes you think, this is fantastic. And uh, working in government, I reckon, is just so much fun. You know, like, it's so important to work. You, just
1: before I let you go, mm. is,
2: is that mission piece really, that drives you, gets you out of bed every day? Just think, okay, I'm actually doing something good here.
1: Yeah, it does. Mm. It's, it's, it's how can I do good comms? Yeah. It's how can I make this better? That yeah. actually really, really does inspire me. Yeah, but with a purpose. Yeah. Know, with a real purpose of, like, you know, if I get this
2: right... Maybe I can have a you know a bit, bit of an impression somewhere that's going to make Australia a, a better place. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so thank you to, to Shannon um, Kenneth for coming in, the director. Oh, sorry, the division head of communications and parliamentary at the federal. Commonwealth Treasury here in Canberra, Australia. So thank you to you, Shannon, for coming in. And thanks to you, the audience, for coming back once again. I'll be back at the same time in a couple of weeks. But thanks so much for coming. And I'll be back then. And I look forward to your company there. So for the moment, it's bye for now.
1: You've been listening to the GovCom's podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate and subscribe to stay up to date with our latest episodes.